So as our, our young ones, as they make their way out to have their own time of fellowship and of hearing from God's Word, um, I'll sort of uh, give you a preface of what we're doing today. You know, we had just gone through in the month of October the five solas of the Reformation. And I think it was just a great reminder of some of the great history of the church and of our faith. But next week we will get back into our study of Acts. If you remember, it seems like forever ago that we were studying Acts and we still have a long way to go, right? There's a lot in Acts, but what a great study that has been in the church of the history, uh, the history of the church. But today is one special message because today is Mission Sunday. And so we like to take at least one Sunday of the year to kind of give that focus. But hopefully by the end of the, the message today, you'll be reminded and encouraged that we should every day be mission-focused and mission-minded because we have a Savior, the risen Lord, who gave us a directive and gave us a purpose and called us all on mission, right? And so therefore, today we say we are on a mission from God, right? And that's the idea, that in all that we do, we are to remember that we are on a mission from God. And so our passage this morning is not going to be the traditional look at the Great Commission, which of course would be awesome and perfect for what we're talking about. But we're going to look at a different passage, a different scene. Uh, and this is from John chapter 20, 19 to 23. Each verse will be up on the screen for you with sort of our point. We'll go through it that way. But just to read the whole passage, you can open your Bibles. It's John 20, 19 to 23, or you can just hear it as I read it aloud. And then again, each of these verses will be up on the screen for you uh, with uh, each of our points. This morning, we have a uh, five-point message, just to kind of, some of you like to write out outlines and everything. I will just briefly go through each one. But this passage is great because it really lends itself to looking at one verse at a time. And what it really does, in essence, gives us a great model for the church to be on mission. What does it look like to be missionaries? It is a blueprint for God calling us through His Son Jesus to be on mission. So here's what it says in John 20, 19, 23. This is after the crucifixion, right after the resurrection. If you remember what happened, the disciples gathered in a place and they locked the door, it says, because they were afraid of those who had just crucified their leader. And they were afraid and were lost and didn't know what to do. So this is the risen Lord before his ascension, but after his resurrection coming to encourage and speak to his disciples and to call them on mission. So here's what it says. John 20, starting in verse 19. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Just those few verses we're going to look at this morning. All right? Because, well, as we unpack this, we're going to see in the context of what we believe and what we do here as Trinity, as the church, the local church, we see our vision, our rich history of supporting missionaries, and our belief in the importance of being on mission for Christ. We recognize that ultimately, as individuals and as, in ch- as his church, we are all missionaries. See, the risen Lord has called us, but also equipped us so we can proclaim the good news, the hope-filled message of the gospel, to all the world. And here's the blueprint that he gives us for the church, but also individually. So point number one, here's what it says. Jesus provides us assurance to begin the mission, right? And so I was very excited because all five of these verses really lend itself to a theme that starts with the same letter. Is that exciting? I'm the only one that's excited. I know. They all start with the letter A, all right? So it'll be easy for your notes. Okay. Now you get it, right? It's okay. I got it. Jesus provides assurance to begin the mission. Anytime you're going to start and go on a mission, you need to have some kind of assurance, right? I was talking with my family last night about the, um, one of the great movies in the, in the Hobbit trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, right? I guess it's number four when it's um, about the Hobbit. It's about Bilbo being called on to mission, right? Remember all the dwarves came to his house with Gandalf and they're encouraging him, you got to join us. We need you to go on this adventure, on this mission. We need you. And he says, no, why? If you remember that story, he says no, because he likes it where he is. It's comfortable, right? He said the shire folk, you know, they don't like to venture out. They like things safe. They don't want to take risks. That sound familiar? We kind of do that. But then finally, that next morning after they had visited him, they all left. And first he was excited. He's like, yeah, this is good. You know, I'm not doing anything. I'm not going on that crazy adventure. But then something stirs up in him and he understands he's being called to go. And so then he runs after them and he's yelling as he's running through the Shire, I'm going on an adventure. But then the funny scene is he gets there and they say, okay. And he gets on the horse and he says, oh, I forgot my special handkerchief. We have to go back. And they're like, what? They were heading on the mission, right? He wanted it to be the way he wanted. But oftentimes God calls us to go on mission and we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know where God's going to call us. Remember God calling Abraham and he said to go. He didn't know what was in store for him or where he was going. He calls us to go on mission. But Jesus, being merciful and compassionate, before he even sends them out and calls them and gives them their purpose and gives them authority to do it, first he gives them a peace. And what does he say? It says, on that evening, the first day, the doors were locked. They were, they were afraid. Jesus came and stood among them. And what did he simply say? Peace be with you. Now, how about this for perspective? Couldn't he have just come in and said, why did you deny me? Why did you run away? He could have called him out on the carpet, right? He did not. He came in and he said, peace be with you. And notice also in his resurrected, glorified body, the door was locked. It says the door is locked. Then Jesus appeared. Right? There he was. And he was there with them. Also a great reminder. 
You can lock the door, you can shut me out, but I'm there with you. Right? He was there in their midst. He stood among them and he said, peace be with you. This morning, Jesus stands with you and his Holy Spirit indwells you as a believer in him. And he says to you, to all of us this morning, peace be with you. Before we are to start out on any journey, each day when we get up, we should be reminded that Jesus is right there in the midst and he says, peace be with you. Because every day is an adventure, right? Every day is an adventure. We live in New Jersey. You got on the roads, it's an adventure, you know? It truly is. And so, I'm not going to comment on that, brother. So here we are. We see this great scene and Jesus is giving them peace. To start their mission, he says, peace be with you. They were frightened, they were startled. It says elsewhere in Luke of that scene, it says they thought they were seeing a ghost. You remember that? But then verse 20 that we'll get to says they rejoiced because they were given that assurance. Right? They had all fled in fear. They doubted. Peter denied him three times. They didn't quite understand what was happening with the resurrection, but he didn't call them out. He said, peace be with you. But here's something to, uh, to notice about peace, right? He gives us and reminds us that through Christ and through Christ alone, we can have peace with God. Our relationship with God is restored through Christ and Him alone. So peace with God is foundational for our mission. If we're going to go and share the good news and live out our faith in the world, in the workplace, in our families, and here in the church, that first we need to know, we need to be at peace with God, right? Through salvation, which we've been looking at all month of October, It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we are given peace with God, and that is foundational. We cannot begin to serve the Lord until we are first reconciled to Him through the peace that Christ accomplished on the cross. That's what happens when we believe, right? We understand and believe the truth of who He is and what He did, and then we put our faith and trust in that great truth But not only does Christ, when He appears and is in their midst, does He give them peace with God through His blood and reminding them He was just sacrificed on the cross, defeated death and rose again, and He is there in their midst. He gives them peace with God, but He also gives us the peace of God, His abiding presence in us. Remember, He just appeared. The door was locked, but He appeared as if to say, I am here with you. You thought you lost me. You thought we failed in our mission, but no, this is only the beginning. And he says, here I am with you. I have provided peace for you, to the disciples he's saying, and to us this morning, with God. But I'm also giving you the peace of God. Does he not also say elsewhere that he gives the peace not as the world gives, right? But only he can give. So he gives us peace with God, but also gives us the peace of God through his abiding presence so that we can accomplish his mission, right? Remember what he said in what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28, he says, I'm with you even to the end of the age. He was giving them assurance through his presence. I am with you. He doesn't just send us out and say, go and do it. He says, go and do it, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. What great assurance that is. But also, not only does he give us peace with God, but the peace of God. 
But he also brings us peace in our relationships with one another. See, those relationships are important. As our relationship is reconciled to God through Christ, we have a great peace, but also we can have peace with one another. Right? We don't always get along with each other perfectly, do we? No, we don't. The all saying goes is that if you walk into a perfect church, make sure you leave. Because once you're there, it won't be perfect anymore, right? Because you're going to mess it up. Because we are sinners, but saved by grace. Ephesians 2.14, I believe it says, He Himself is our peace, right? He Himself is our peace who made both groups into one. Broke down the barrier, dividing wall. That's what Christ does in our earthly relationships so that we can carry on His mission together. Look, the reality of it is, is that we need each other. We need peace with God in our relationship first, and then we need that peace of God to know that we can do it, that great assurance. But if we're going to be successful in carrying out his mission every day, we need peace with each other. Right? Doesn't Paul describe us as the body of Christ? That we're all supposed to work together. We all, every one of us here has some kind of ailment going on this morning, right? And you woke up and you're just like, oh, now this hurts. I guess that's the new normal. That's the thing now, right? But you know, when part of our body doesn't work, we feel it the rest of it. You know, your foot hurts and you start limping, then all of a sudden your back hurts because you're limping, right? It's that whole thing. But we're supposed to work together. And Jesus provides peace, peace, so we can have peace with one another. The second thing is this, the next verse, John uh, 20, 20, okay? So first it was he gives us assurance because Jesus shows up on the scene and says, peace be with you. But he also authenticates that the mission is real. He provides, Jesus provides not only assurance, but he provides authentication that the mission is real. What does he say? He says, when he had said this, meaning peace be with you, what does he do? He showed them his hands in his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. See, they weren't seeing a ghost. Jesus knew that. They were afraid. So he said, here I am. Yes, he went right through the wall. He appeared. He didn't need to go through the door. It's his glorified body, but it was still somehow looked like his earthly body enough for them to recognize him. He's doing that because he's so compassionate and gracious. He knew that they were afraid. And so what does he do? He shows them his hands and his side. Right? And we know this, this whole scene is right before the whole doubting Thomas scene, right? And so he shows them who he is. It's authenticating that what he's about to call them to do is real. He's not just a figment of their imagination or a ghost. He actually did accomplish what he said he would. He died on the cross, but he did rise again. Remember, they didn't even understand the truth of the resurrection. They weren't getting it. And Jesus had to then appear to them. Before he ascends to heaven and provides the Holy Spirit, right? What does he do? It says he appears to his disciples and says to even 500 more people. To what? To authenticate that who he is is truly God and that he accomplished all that he said he was going to do. Before he sets them on a mission, they didn't know that it's real, right? Before we go out and follow anybody or we go out on any kind of task or adventure or whatever it is, any kind of mission, we have to know that, hey, we have to believe in what we're doing. We have to know that this is real and that we have the assurance, Jesus says, peace be with you, but then he authenticates it and says, this is real, guys. What we're doing is real. 
Everything I said to you has come to pass. Right? And I did this for you. So it was that first resurrection Sunday and Jesus showed his disciples his hands in his side to convince them of the truth. Right? Before he could start them out on a mission. That historical fact of the resurrection, this is so important, needs to be at the center of our witness for Christ. When we share our faith, do we talk about the fact that Jesus Christ died a physical death, but then also rose in bodily form? Right? That the tomb is empty. That's got to be a part of us sharing the gospel, doesn't it? I mean, it might sound crazy to the world around us, but is it not the truth? And Paul said, without the resurrection, our preaching is in vain. We might as well all go home. So Jesus is showing them he did rise again. And that truth of the resurrection gives us authentication. It authenticates that what we believe is real and that our mission that God calls us on through Christ is also real. So important right? The gospel truly is that Christ died for our sins and was raised again according to the scripture. It says that in 1 Corinthians 15. So we can proclaim the gospel and go ahead and fulfill our mission each and every day with confidence because we have great assurance of his resurrection that Jesus authenticates. Number three, Jesus not only provides assurance and authentication for this mission that he's calling us to, but he provides the aim of the mission. What is the great purpose or aim? The next verse says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. So he says it again. Don't we always need reassurance? That Jesus did. But as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. There it is. There is the great purpose of the mission or the aim of, of the mission. Before we do anything, don't we want to know what it's all about? Don't we need to have an idea of a or a focus what it is that we're doing? You know when you're a kid, right? You your parents tell you to do something, what do you do? You say, "Why?" And what do your parents say? "Because I said so." Right? That's the right we have as parents. We get to do that. But then the kids, you know, our kids are still confused. Well, why? It doesn't answer my question. It doesn't matter why. Just do it. I'll explain it to you later. Maybe we do that. I don't know. But the idea is it's, they are curious. They want to know why they're doing certain things. Why do they have to make their bed when it's just to get messy again tomorrow? Right? In the kid's mind, that makes no sense. But they want to know why. But there is a mission that Christ is calling us on. And Jesus tells them the aim. He says, this is what we're doing. He said, the Father sent me to you, so I am sending you to the world. We are his ambassadors, are we not? were his representatives. So that's what Jesus did. He had, for three years, he had these disciples and he had them together and he lived with them and he walked with them and he taught them. He, he ate meals with them. I'm sure they laughed together and they cried together. Think about that. An intense time of discipleship. And he says, I haven't left you. They were afraid, locked in a room. What do we do now? And he says, I'm with you. So peace be with you. This is all real. And this is what I'm calling you to do. Everything I taught you, everything I told you that the Father told me, now I'm sending you out to do it. Very simple, but there's so much packed in there. He says, just as the Father sent me, think about that part of it, 
everything that God called Christ to do and sent him to do, he says, now as my disciples, my representatives, my ambassadors, I am calling you to go do that. See, they were in a room afraid. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Let's do this together because I will be with you. That's why you can have that peace, right? So what is that great mission? We know that John in his gospel, right, the book of John, he frequently emphasizes this idea of Jesus being sent by the Father. He uses that phrase a lot. Jesus was sent by the Father. But now Jesus is sending us to do that. He was sent by the Father to do the Father's will, to speak the Father's words, to perform the Father's works, to bring salvation to the world. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Very simple. But by sending us out in the same way when he says, even as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, his purpose becomes our purpose. And we should live in obedience to Christ as Christ was obedient to the Father. And then in discipling others, we teach them to do the same. Do you see how that works? That The Father sent Jesus, and now Jesus is sending us into the world as the church, as his ambassadors, Right? There is a huge difference between being a messenger and an ambassador, right? You've got a leader somewhere, let's say, in our government, and somebody has to get a message to them. They just send a, a bicycle messenger, right? And he shows up, and he just delivers the message. And then the leader says, what's this all about? I don't understand it. The messenger says, I don't know. I'm just delivering the message. I don't even know what's in there. But... If a foreign leader sends an ambassador to bring a message, that ambassador has authority to speak on behalf of the king or the leader, right? He knows what the mind of the king is, and so that's what we are. We're not just messengers bringing a message saying, I don't know what it's about, but, you know, Jesus died and rose again. No. He's given, we're going to see that in a minute too, he's given us, he's given us that ability, that authority, we're going to see that develop here, to bring his message as his ambassadors. So he gives us the aim, and he says very simply, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Right? So he's given us assurance, authentication that it's real, and he gives us our aim. Here's our focus. We should always be focused. Number four, there's two more. Jesus provides the ability to complete the mission. He's not going to call us on any kind of mission and say, you know, good luck. Do it on your own. No, he gives us the power to do it. Look at what it says in verse 22, and we're going to sort of unpack what that really means in a second. And when he had said this, meaning that I'm going to send you like the Father sent me, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So on the surface, here's what it means. There's kind of two layers to this. First and most importantly, we recognize we cannot do this thing called the Christian life or sharing the gospel or being on mission for God on our own. We cannot do it. And Jesus says, I know you're afraid. I know you're confused. I'm going to be with you. Have my peace. Here's what we're doing. And I'm going to give you the power to do it. And he does it by granting them the Holy Spirit. That's so important for us to know. You know that we cannot live the Christian life without yielding to the Holy Spirit within us. It's a fundamental truth of our Christian faith. And it's important we understand that. At the moment of salvation that we believe, 
Remember what Scripture teaches over and over. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be made new. You're a new creation. That moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you. It says He comes to live inside of you, never to leave again. You cannot lose the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, it's different. We see God giving people the Holy Spirit for a task, for a season, but it can be removed. Remember that psalm and there was an old a praise and worship song that said, and uh, let not your Holy Spirit, take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know that song? That's fine. It's in scriptural, but it doesn't apply to us today. See that? Because we have the Holy Spirit and nowhere does God say that He could remove it at any time. So He indwells us, but then what do we do? We yield to the Holy Spirit each and every day, letting Him lead us and guide us. He doesn't just automatically do His thing, right? In our obedience to the Father, the Holy Spirit then has His way with us, right? As we are transformed from the inside out. So Jesus is simply saying on the surface, most importantly, He's saying, receive the Holy Spirit so you have the power. Okay? And I have to make just a note of this. This is really important. Some of you might have picked up on this, but as you keep reading, remember it's important we have the context. This was 50, this scene happened 50 days, almost two months, before Pentecost. Remember that? We read about that in the beginning of Acts. What happened at Pentecost? The church was born. God gives the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said, I have to go back to the Father so I can send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you. That's what happened at Pentecost. Remember that? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? But what happens? How is it that Jesus, almost two months before that, says, receive the Holy Spirit? Different scholars and you know, teachers think of it different ways. And some might say it's just symbolic, like he didn't really give them the Holy Spirit. He just says, in, in 50 days you're going to get the Holy Spirit. No, I think, I think the best way to interpret it, and the way I would understand it, which I think makes the most sense in the context, is that he gives them the person of the Holy Spirit and they are born again. Don't we know that the moment of salvation, it says that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come, right? We're born again. I believe that's what happens here. They receive eternal life. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. It seems real and actual. But then what happens 50 days later at Pentecost, they get the power to go ahead and do what God has called them to do through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. See, it's like they have the Holy Spirit to guide them, to direct them, to give them that new life. And it's also an anticipation of what's about to happen at Pentecost, right? When the Holy Spirit indwells them. So it's important. We see you make that distinction. But let's not focus on it, right? We can, some scholars say, which I think makes sense, there's imagery there of, of um, the same word used when he, he, he said it breathed, he breathed on them. It's the same imagery and, and word use from when he breathed life into Adam. Remember that? And he breathed into his nostrils. He breathed life back in Genesis 2. But also, do you remember uh, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, that idea of um, God calling um, Ezekiel to breathe life into the dry bones? Remember that whole thing in the valley and the dry bones? It's that same wording. So it kind of makes sense. It's that idea of breathing life, right? Breathing life. We know that that word for spirit really is that idea of a breath. And so it's that same thing that Jesus breathes on them. Have new life. You have been resurrected with me. See that? 
Because he just appears to them. He says, you're resurrected with me in a sense. That's the symbolism. But there's a new creation there. Even Peter, in his, um, in his great sermon, he talks about Joel 2.8, about, about receiving the Spirit. So he's making that connection. And that's what happens at Pentecost. But here, again, to give them not only assurance, right, but to give them the ability to carry out what he's about to call them to do, you've got to do it with the Holy Spirit. So he says, you are made new. You're not going to do this uh, in your old ways, but you are made new in Christ. You are born again. See that? Giving them the ability. As we move on to the last one. Jesus provides the authority to represent them on a mission. As I said before, right? The big difference between like just a messenger and an ambassador is that the ambassador has authority. We are ambassadors of the king. We represent his will and desire. The truth that we speak is His truth. See, it seems a little, a little odd that He would say it this way, right? Because look at just how we read it. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing He says in this passage, He says, remember, He's talking to the disciples. He says, if you forgive the sins of anyone, then, then they are forgiven them, right? If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So doesn't it kind of seem like He's saying that the disciples have the ability to forgive sins? That's not what he's saying. We always have to go back to the context and the original languages, the text, to kind of get a better idea of what he's saying. Because you know what? It's so important. I think we know this, but a great reminder that when we study Scripture, one of the first rules of what we call hermeneutics in interpreting Scripture is interpret Scripture with what? Scripture. So look at what else the Bible says and what else Jesus says and the Apostle Paul what it says about who provides forgiveness of sins don't we understand so clearly we just talked about it last month don't we understand so clearly that it is only through Jesus that our sins are forgiven there is no man or woman on earth that can absolve us of our sins so then why would Jesus say hey if you forgive anybody they're forgiven them or if you don't then their sins aren't forgiven. In a nutshell, here's what he's saying. In the context of this and looking at other scriptures, we see that Jesus is sending them on a mission. And he gives them the power, the ability, and hear the authority saying simply this. If you proclaim my truth to people, that they will be forgiven of their sins through the gospel, through Christ only, then their sins will be forgiven. And if you proclaim the gospel and people reject it or decide not to trust it or believe it, then their sins won't be forgiven. He's simply saying, what you are proclaiming is what I'm proclaiming to you. It's not our truth. It's not our power or ability to forgive sins. It is Christ's truth that we are proclaiming. So in essence, at the end of this, he's saying, I've given you assurance to do it. I've given you the aim I've authenticated it, right? But I'm also giving you the authority. I gave you the ability in the Holy Spirit. But now I'm giving you the authority. Not that you are forgiving people's sins. It's my authority given to you. See that? Right? What does he say in, in, um, in what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28? Right? When he says, doesn't he say all power, all authority in heaven? It's given to me, Right? He passes that authority on to us. It's not that we are forgiving sins, but he's saying, look, as my disciples, if you go out and preach the truth, the gospel, 
and say to people that your sins will only be forgiven in Christ, if they believe it, their sins will be forgiven. Because what you're speaking is my truth. That's what he's saying. But he's saying, look, don't waver from that. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. You can proclaim it with authority because I'm giving you that authority. He says, I'm with you, right? He says, you're my ambassadors. You can speak for me. I'm the king. You're my ambassadors. You speak on my behalf. In fact, he's saying, you now are my representatives in this world. What an awesome privilege, right? That we have. That no matter what we do, we recognize that we are on mission for God. You know, here at Trinity, we have a long, great uh, tradition and history of being on a mission from God. We support missionaries. Now there's 11. Throughout the years, they change. You know, they come and go and for all different reasons. But we have always had as part of our foundation that we understand the importance of being on mission. Supporting those who go around the world. We support some in Africa. Some administer those in Eastern Europe. Right? Central America. But we also support those that are local. And you're going to hear from them in just a few minutes during our fellowship lunch. But not only we just send money and pray. But what's so important at the heart of our church is that we recognize that we are on a mission from God. That all of us are called to proclaim the gospel. And he says, I'm giving you the authority to do it. To make that great proclamation. And do it with confidence. Because it's not your words. It's mine. It's not your power. It's my power, Jesus is saying. See that? So what a great template. What a great blueprint for Jesus calling us as his church, but also individuals, to be on mission. He gives us that great assurance right from the get-go. Peace. Right? But then what does he also do? He not only gives us the peace, but he authenticates. He says, yes, this is real and this is true. Right? But he also gives us the aim. He says, my father sent me and now I'm sending you. So just as the father sent me, you do what I came and taught you. He gives us the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit so we don't do it on our own. And then finally he says, you have all the authority to do it because simply what you're proclaiming is the truth and God is truth. See that? So it's not our words. It's his. And finally, I'll end with this. Romans 10, 13 to 15. You can look it up if you want. And just listen to these words. Romans 10, 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the, name of, <clears throat> on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then? Listen to what he says. Paul. <clears throat> if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he says, how then will they call on Him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You preach the good news, you got beautiful feet. Isn't that awesome? Nah, it's not, it's not the way it is. But the idea is so beautiful, right? We see that from, from, uh, from Psalms. And we see that elsewhere in Scripture quoted that how beautiful, how lovely are the feet of those, right? who bring the good news. It's simply saying this, that God blesses us as we bless others. He says in that passage, 
All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul, in his great way, he follows it up. He says, okay, how are they going to call on him who they don't believe in? Well, then how are they going to believe if they haven't heard of him? But how are they going to hear if someone hasn't told them? And how is that person going to tell them unless they're sent? So Jesus showed up to that room where his disciples were afraid. And what does he say? He says, I'm sending you just as the Father sent me. I'm giving you the peace to do it. And I'm giving you the ability and the authority to go and do it. To fulfill what Paul says. And let's remember that as we go about our days, as we support missionaries and pray for them, but as we recognize that we are missionaries ourselves. You step through those doors later this morning. You go back out into the real world. You're missionaries. You are missionaries. How can people call on the name of the Lord? If they haven't believed, how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? How are they going to hear if we don't tell them? Why should we go tell them? Because we're being sent. We're being sent by Jesus Christ, just as the Father sent him. So we are to proclaim forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all who will believe, right? That mission is possible because of the risen Savior. He's equipped us by giving us assurance to begin the mission, authentication of its reality in our lives. He gives us the aim and purpose, the ability and power to complete it, and He gives us the authority to represent Him on mission in the world. Are we together on this? Let us always be, let us always be a church who is on a mission from God. And now we have that opportunity in just our closing moments to to move into what we call remembering the Lord at His table. Remembering what Jesus did for us. We talked this morning about the importance, the importance of Christ's crucifixion and then, of course, His resurrection and His promise that He would come back for us. So as we are able to participate in what we call the Lord's table, let us remember that we are on mission. We say this, and I'm going to mention it in a few minutes, as the men come forward to help us serve the elements this morning. It says this in, in his word, as Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what does he say? He says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's so important. That's a, a vital part of what we do. That as we do this together, we decide to do it here at Trinity on a monthly basis. We do it as it says in the table in remembrance of Him. It's a remembrance of what it cost Jesus Christ on that cross, right? So that we can then be missionaries for Him. But Paul makes a great point and he says, For as often as you drink and eat from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And that was the last of our points. We have the authority to proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as you take the bread this morning and as you take the cup, you listen to the music play, just take a few moments to reflect on how God is calling you in your context, in your life, to be a missionary for Him, to be on a mission from God. Remembering that whenever we proclaim what Jesus Christ has done, we do it until He returns for us. And this, and what we do around the Lord's table, is a great reminder of the truth of the gospel, isn't it? Of what we proclaim, right?